I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The pretty best of Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio. Um, first of all, I want to just say again, even though it's been a little bit, but I still want to say again, happy, 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 happy birthday, Share Bear. Yes, yes, yes. Don't, yes. Look, don't look a day over 19. <laughs> oh, Embrace thanks. it. Embrace it. Uh, thanks, true. guys. And yeah. thank you to everybody who has... Um, Wished me a happy birthday and for all the beautiful flowers. You see the flowers behind me? Uh, your favorite, your favorite wow. kind of flowers. I know. You introduced me to that company. I did. And now, and now, even though now they're we get very expensive, <laughs> they're very expensive, but it's worth it because they last a long time. And exactly. I went a little nuts on Valentine's Day. I, I, I went like a little cuckoo's nest with that, with, with that company, but they're so beautiful. Um, yeah, so we have um, on the show today, uh, I'm actually really, really excited, um, especially being a parent um, and knowing in my, in my opinion uh, that everything really starts um, as far as with mental health issues and drug addiction and alcoholism. I believe a lot of those things start in your adolescent and pre-adolescent and in your childhood. Um, you know, based on your environment and potentially your parents and this, that, and the other. Our guests today are Carol Potter and Dr. Frank Cilio. They both specialize in family therapy as well as uh, children and development, and uh, they have a book out, uh, When Your Child Has a Chronic Medical Illness, and you can get that on Amazon. So uh, let's bring them into the show. Well, while we wait for them, I'm a huge fan of 90210, like the f original, so I'm a huge fan of Carol. Hello, Hello everybody. Hi. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we're going to just quickly do a little round robin and, and uh, introduce ourselves. Um, my name is AJ McLean. I am part of, I'm one-fifth of the Backstreet Boys, this little band you may have heard of, maybe not, I don't know, it depends. <laughs> Um, and my beautiful co-host, Cheryl Burke. Hello. Um, Hi. And, and the handsome and debonair, Mr. Rene Rivian Elizondo, as I like to call him. Welcome, uh, welcome. <laughs> did you guys not see me for a sec? I, literally I did not got see you. I yeah, you. Yeah, you just disappeared, yeah. bro. Yeah. I just came back on. Yes, so, you're there. back. So We're why back. don't we start off and um, you, want, you guys want to explain, uh, tell us about yourselves? Sure. Carol, you want to start, Carol? I'm a huge fan of 920. I'm not sure As if, am I. Uh, yes. if you caught that in the beginning here, but uh, yeah, huge fan. So why don't you start, Frank? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. No pressure. Um, I'm Frank Cilio. I'm a psychologist in New Jersey and I'm an author of 12 children's books. And this is my 
first adult book, um, writing this with Carol. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Yes, thank you for having us. Um, well, I'm Carol Potter and uh, I played the mom on 90210 for five years and uh, I was very grateful. So they, I was really excited they invited me for the reboot because I am also a marriage and family therapist. And wow. I actually, they had a therapy scene with me and the whole gang. So that was a lot of fun. I've been a therapist for about 20 years. And, um, you know, Frank and I decided to write a book together and we barely knew each other. And it's kind of miraculous how well it's worked out. Wouldn't you say, Frank? Absolutely. I mean, it was sort of a fortuitous, but, you know, sort of a, an interesting story how we met and, and kind of came together and decided to write this book for, for parents with kids with chronic illnesses. So um, how did you guys meet? Actually, um, I know Jason Priestley, who played Brandon Walsh on 90210, and um, he had reviewed some of my children's books. And he said, he, he said, you know, do you know Carol's a marriage and family therapist? And I said, oh, I wasn't aware of that. And I had reached out to Carol to review one of my books on mindfulness. And she graciously um, agreed and she reviewed it. And while we were, while I was visiting LA once, um, I invited her to breakfast and um, we sat and had breakfast and talked about books and working with patients, et cetera, and talked about my dream of writing a parenting book. And, you know, from there, I guess, you know, sort of three years later, we published a book together. Yes. Well, he said, you know, he said, would you write a blurb for this book? It's called A World of Possibilities. And I said, sure, send me the book. So she sent me this book and I was very impressed with it. It was charming, very well told. They, They also found a wonderful illustrator for it. And it was just about how no matter what's going on, you can always just take a breath. You can always just take a pause. And I thought, this is a great message for kids, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote this little blurb and then, you know, ask, a, ask an actor to a meal and they will always say yes. <laughs> awesome, and awesome. Um, you know- Had so- a lovely breakfast. And I think we both got the same idea at the same time. Um, I have done a lot of work with parents. I haven't worked so much with um, parents of children with chronic illness, but I did develop a parenting program with some other people at the counseling center where I got my training. So, I mean, we were both really excited about the idea of speaking to parents. Which I think, well, first of all, hats off to both of you. Um, I think that is extremely important. Myself and Renee are both fathers. Um, Renee has a nine-year-old daughter. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old daughter. Uh, hashtag girl dads. Yes, we are. Thank you very much. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, you know, all of my bandmates, except our, my, my, our youngest bandmate, they all have boys. Um, my youngest bandmate just had their second girl and they have a son as well. So, um, but I'm fascinated by all of this because, um, you know, when we first started the show, uh, you know, a, a quick little backstory about all three of us, we've all, we're all in recovery. We're all sober. We've all crashed and burned um, multiple times, and we've made it out the other side. Um, and this whole show is, you know, really based on mental health and living life on life's terms, and really, you know, just spreading love and acceptance, and just you know, understanding one another. Um, and you, as a as a father, I know for me growing up, I, you know, there was a very happy household a very positive household. There was no, uh, there was no abuse. There was no violence. There was no, you know, fighting, you know, even though my parents were split up when I was very young, uh, which in turn down the road did have effects on me, um, with abandonment issues and, you know, having to kind of fill those shoes and take on the responsibility to, you know, take care of my entire family. Once, once I got some kind of success, but I do believe that um, everything does start with our children, and it starts at home. That's what I believe, um, you know, based on how we raise our children, um, the environment that they're in. Uh, obviously, if there's alcohol and drugs in the house, and there's fighting, and there's yelling, and there's screaming, and there's divorce, and there's this, there's a good chance your kid's going to end up taking the same path. There's a pretty good chance. Um, so uh, what do you think... And Carol, I'll, I'll 
go to you first. What do you think is is at the epicenter of you know uh, these these you know children that end up having mental health issues down the road or even at a young age? Like, do you do you what have you experienced and what have you found in your twenty years experience that has kind of led to that? I'm gonna I'm gonna just say a couple of different things because I think it's different for generations now than it was, for instance, when I was growing up. I think one of the issues for generations now is they have no filters. They are, they are inundated with information 24-7. Um, they know all the worst news that's going on in the world. Mm. And so as a result, I think it's one of the most anxious uh, generations we've ever had. So totally. I think that's uh, one piece of it. But I also think there's something about our culture which seems to cultivate of, of this negative internal voice mm. that tells us we're not good enough, that you know we have to achieve something in order to be seen and accepted. And I, and I think this really gets even worse for a kid who's got a chronic medical illness of some kind and for the, the family who's um, struggling to balance everyone's needs when they have that additional uh, issue to deal with. Um, and there's there's something about this culture that um, we don't experience, even if we came from a wonderfully supportive family, a lot of people still don't experience that, just that gentle sense of I'm okay. Hmm. Right. I'm okay yeah. in this world. I have a right to exist. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, especially in this uh, Hollywood business, right? There's a lot of pressure for um, even child stars or even not child stars, adults. I mean, it's just never good enough. Well, yeah. and there's a lot of pressure just in regular families to get into the best preschool so you can get into the best, yep. you know, elementary school. And so you can get the best grades and kids are kids. I mean, everything slowed down this year. So right. Right. you still don't know exactly how it's going to go back. But kids have gotten overscheduled with sports and extracurricular activities, and they're all trying to get into, you know, Yale or Harvard or something. When it's just like, it's all right. Yeah, you know, it's you interesting. Make a wonderful life. You don't have to go to, a, you know, the best school in the world. You yeah. you can make a good life for yourself, and that should be the focus. What what does a good life look like? Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess, the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. 
love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I want to touch on what you were saying about the different generational, well, the de- generational differences. I remember seeing a um, uh, on television, or I don't know where I saw it, but they were discussing the future generation with cell phones, right? And when television first came out, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's going to, they called it the boob tube, right? It's going to dumb people down. It's going to do this. But the counter to that, the person that was kind of sounding the alarms about this generation now said, back then you had three channels, right? You had three channels on television and you didn't walk around all day with that television. Where today, like going back to what you were saying is that, I worry about it as well because you're so right. It's unfiltered. It, they just get all of it. Whatever's happening, whatever's happening in the cap, the capital, the siege, whatever it is, stuff kids shouldn't be seeing, in my opinion. Right? It's traumatizing. Makes well, YouTube and, so, and TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've been a practicing psychologist for 25 years, and certainly since when I started to now, I have seen exponentially anxiety disorders through the roof. And it was the number one, number one mental health concern before the pandemic. Mm. And now it's really, I'm seeing in my practice now just exacerbated, you know, kids, kids, you know, sort of the, the pandemic kind of put a magnifying glass on what issues may have already been existing in families and with their kids. The other aspect that I see, you know, just about what, to piggyback on what Carol was saying is that I just published a children's book called Blossom and Bud, which deals with body image and body positivity. And about I'm seeing much, much more kids, young kids, you know, being so self-conscious about their appearance Mm -hmm. and, you know, looking at themselves constantly. And and the Zoom, you know, because we're on Zoom or whatever, kids Mm -hmm. don't even want to do therapy with me on Zoom because they don't like looking at themselves because they become more Mm -hmm. self-conscious about their appearance. And so they have to hide themselves, which is totally fine to do. But kids are just, you know, social media and being influenced by what other people think about. So it's, it's also, you know, that huge anxiety placed upon them. And they're all just saying a Zoom. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Right? They're they're always performing something. Yeah. yeah. And and then obviously by doing so, they're looking for that, you know, that validation. Uh, validation. Thank you. You know, I mean like I my kids, there is no social media. There is none of that. And, you know, it, it's total sidebar, but literally Earlier today, I was talking to Renee about this amazing Netflix show that I watched called The Toys That Made Us. And they and they speak about the very first toy that they talk about is Barbie and Mattel and that and, and this massive explosion. But the first Barbie, one of the first Barbies, uh, you know, she came with this nightgown and this like little like robe and a little nightstand. And she had a scale that was set to 110. That was the ideal weight. And then there was a book that said on one side, how to lose weight. And if you flip the book on the other side, it said, don't eat. And it's like, here we are. And then this, this journalist who was on there basically was like, welcome children to an eating disorder. Like immediately, like, you know, like this is, you know, so it is, you know, kids are sponges. We all Mm -hmm. know this kids absorb everything, whether they tell us or not. I mean, my kids, bring stuff up to me that I'm like, when did I say that? How did you hear what the, you know, and and then my kids are schooling me and I'm learning more from my children Mm -hmm. even now because of being on this lockdown and, you know, me not traveling, you know, touring anymore right now until next year and like being, you know, being present with my kids, you know, you're absolutely right on, on, on that, on that one side, Frank, is that yes, there's been a huge upswing in mental health, drugs, alcoholism, obesity, anorexia, all of it, because, you know, like 
people joked about, well, did you put on the quarantine 15 or, or did you, you know, go put yourself in the gym? And, you know, but, and then back to your point, Carol, which I completely agree with. And I wish more people would think is like, take a breath, take it easy. Mm-hmm. It's not about anything else that's happening. What's going on inside. Look at yourself, be happy with who you are. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. But well, this—it's it's the outer. It's like yeah, that's, this that world, defines them. Yes, this world thrives right now on exterior mm-hmm. and on you know levels of celebrity or levels of you know clout status. and stature and status, and it's it's crazy. What symptoms um, are are usually overlooked in children, Frank? I'm sorry, Cheryl. What what symptoms are usually overlooked in children? Regarding just regarding just regarding chronic med- medical il- illness and um, just symptoms in general for those of people that may not know what that is. Well, in our book, we focus on medical illness as opposed to okay. mental illness. You know, a lot of people ask us, right. how can we even write about autism and other kinds of things? That's right. another whole book in itself. Right. Um, but we certainly in our book talk about, you know, not just not just the, the child, but we also talk to the to the parent in right. that we, you know, for them to identify first their self-care and what to look at themselves, because the journey starts with them for them to identify what they're experiencing, what emotions they're having when they receive that diagnosis. or they're told that their child has a chronic medical illness to kind of engage in some sort of self-care, because we model for kids what maybe how they might handle a certain situation. If we're freaking out, right, then mm-hmm. how do we how do we help kids to then regulate their emotions? I see lots of kids with dysregulation issues. So how do we teach them the skills that they need to regulate the emotions that they may be experiencing if the parents or parent is not dealing with their emotions? So, right. you know, I don't know if that answers your question, Cheryl. Yes, but it certain, does, yeah. Can certain, you explain, though, dysregulation? Dysregulation is, you know, so from going from zero to 60, like a Porsche, you know, okay. like something doesn't go their way. So, you know, a child may dysregulate. They, it may, they may dysregulate because they have particular diagnosis. We often see kids on the autism spectrum sometimes dysregulating quickly, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily for all children on the spectrum, but certainly children might dysregulate. Um, we may dysregulate, you know, I've been on the California highways, you know, like we're driving mm-hmm. yeah. and like, you know, um, you know, the 101 or whatever, and we're like, you know, freaking out. So certainly, you know, it's just kind of going from zero to 60 with your emotions, mm-hmm. kind of not knowing how to, you know, it's more reacting versus right, responding, right, right. To, right. A, to a situation. Like the first thing that popped in my head when you were saying that was, I think it was you, Renee, that actually told me that once in uh, or told me this, you know, in comparison to addiction and alcoholism, you know, when when you're working with another addict and you're trying to, you know, help them through the 12 step program. It's, it's that, you know, put your air mask on, you know, your oxygen mask on first before you. And that's the same thing for these parents. You know, you've got to put the oxygen mask on first or you can't take care of your child or that, you know, that other person. So exactly. It also, you said something very important. It all starts with you for those people who may not understand what that means. Can you explain further? Meaning starting with us, Carol, I don't know if you want to jump like in. Like responsibility, we- taking the full responsibility of your emotions, really. Of your emotions, yeah. Well, you know, when you think about a little two-year-old, for instance, they have the same nervous system we do. So they feel the same intensity of emotion, but th- they have no idea how to handle that, right? Mm-hmm. So you get tantrums, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and often, even adults, we never learn not to have tantrums, mm-hmm. Um but it's a lot of it has to do with being a this this stopping thing, being aware of what's going on, primarily in your body. And um, I worked for a long time with um, people who had trouble, um, anger management sort of groups, and it was it's a process of catching catching your escalation earlier in the process so that you can do something about it and take care of yourself and figure out what self-soothing you need to do, which of course does not include alcohol and drugs, right? But that is what typically a lot of people do in our culture. They use alcohol and they use drugs to manage their emotions. And ultimately it backfires because then they never learn on their own 
right. how to step back, how to breathe, become aware, come into the moment and make a decision mm-hmm. about what's going on and, and what I want to do about it. Yeah. Leaning yeah. into the uncomfortable. That's what my yeah. therapist Feeling used to always feelings. tell me. Leaning, you know, when you feel upset or you feel anxious, instead of putting a bandaid on it or, mm-hmm. or, you know, hitting the pause button, lean into that emotion and then figure out, okay, how do, how can I get through this? How can I, you know, come to this resolute like that? And you know, it's okay. But, it's okay to feel yeah. your feelings no matter what. There's yeah. no shame. I mean, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're saying that because I think often in therapy with whether it be a, a, a child case or a teenager or an adult case is that when you lean into that, when, or when the therapist is touching that, that particular Source button, button, that's when people are like, thanks so much. You know, yeah. I'm good. You know, we're going to take a pause <laughs> now for therapy, yeah. you know, and they're out the door. So, so when you, you say this is primarily regarding uh, physical ailments, right? It's what, so for example, parents find out the child has cancer, that sort of thing. Yes. So because, you know, I'll watch these commercials and I can't personally imagine what that must be like for a parent, right? Like I can't even imagine. So for yourself, how, what led you into such a really tough, tough area, right? Because you, you're dealing with grieving parents, right? Maybe their child hasn't died, but chronic illnesses. Um, what are the typical sort of things that parents go into? If you could take us through the sort of timeline of they find out they're in shock, then what happens after that? Typically, it's it follows like, you know, those stages of you know, that Kubler-Ross talked about of death and dying. So that can, it doesn't, they don't necessarily go in, in a step. I mean, lots of times they'll start off with, you know, denial or they may start off with, um, you know, anger or they'll start out with, you know, bargaining with, um, these are some of the, the stages of, of death mm-hmm. and dying that Kubler-Ross talks about. But, you know, they're not, they're not sequential. And then, you know, you can, you can start here and go back and, and go back and forth. And parents will often you know, be met with a host of lots of emotions. Like, what did I do wrong? Guilt and shame mm. and blame. Like, oh, it's your family's genetics. You're, there's cancer on your your side of the family. Or, or disappointment and shame about those feelings. Like, this isn't the child I asked for. This isn't what I wanted in children. This isn't what I thought would happen. They sometimes bring it to a higher power, getting angry and question their spirituality. And Carol wrote a whole chapter about spirituality and the importance of addressing that whatever religion you might be and i don't know mm-hmm. if you want to speak about that a little bit carol but well yeah. one of the things i want to add frank is that often if you have two parents involved in the family they may have very different reactions and that can cause issues between the couple you know like precisely at the time where they need to be on the same page so they're being consistent and following through on what treatments need to happen or what medications need to be um uh, dealt with um what procedures need to be done at home i mean we, we covered a huge range, everything from asthma to something like cancer, which is a lot more serious. Um, and, but what's interesting is um, the effects, the emotional effects on the parents, on the other siblings, on the extended family, on the kid themselves, on their relationship with you know, their school, their friends, all of that stuff. Um, those, those effects tend to be very similar um, you know, kids, kids don't want to be different. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you'll have kids if they can, you know, there's a certain group of kids who, if they can hide the, hide the illness, they'll just pretend it's not there. Right. Which can cause issues in intimacy with their friends because mm-hmm. they can't really feel like they can really be themselves with people. They're afraid to, to let find out. Right. 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 And then there are other kids where it's obvious something's going on and they don't, they don't have that choice. Yeah, I've seen something, wow. Frank, kind of going on what you were saying about, you know, on the, on the parent side of like the process. I've, sadly, I've, I've, I've had a couple of friends that, you know, their children, uh, one of their children uh, did get cancer, um, beat it, thank goodness, but it was, was diagnosed with cancer. And the father 
refused to, to cope with it. And yeah. it, and then basically the parents ended up splitting up and the mom had to do everything on her own. The dad refused to be a part of it because he couldn't deal. He couldn't cope with it. And which is sad, but I'm sure, I mean, in, in your years of experience, have you seen that happen where like, you know, like, like what you said, Carol, like it does tend to drive a stake sometimes between that, that couple or that family if the siblings have nothing wrong and it's just one of the siblings happens to have a chronic disease, it can implode rather quickly. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I, and I have to say, you know, in this culture, um, men are not raised to experience their feelings. Yeah. And so they don't have the capacity mm-hmm. to contain them. They become overwhelmed very quickly. And so they, they, they're only, they're the only way, unless they're willing to sit with a therapist or something like that, or a support group that can help them kind of come to terms with this, their only way of dealing with it is in this complete denial. And that, that can throw a wedge in between the couple. You know, it used to be a sort of a given in the, the grief area that if a child died, um, the couple would split up. But we're seeing that is not always the case anymore. And, and in fact, most of these families do really, really well, considering the, the challenges they're facing. And they often come like, you know, like this, this whole pandemic, we've come to an appreciation of simpler things in life, right? Yes. And the same can happen to these families. They, they, ha- they maybe ha- they have to downscale their ambitions a bit, but they, they, te- they may be more grateful for what they have. Right. Um, they may be more um, sort of aware of other people and other people's situations. Um, the siblings may also have more of a sense of a, of a, of a social conscience. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, how, but with considering what these families have to deal with, you know, these illnesses, a lot of them used to be fatal and great medical science um, has made a, a many of them these chronic illnesses. But as a result, all the care ends up falling on the parents and the family. So Speaking of the uh, pandemic, how has online learning affected kids um, during this past year? It's been incredibly challenging for the kids and the teachers. I treat mm-hmm. teachers in my practice and, yeah. you know, it's just, and the parents, it's just it, it really been, you know, hybrid. We're learning mm-hmm. all this new vocabulary, right? Hybrid, synchronous, asynchronous learning, right? And, and like, actually, you know, some of my kids, you know, depending on what their challenges might be, I mean, some have special needs so that, you know, the, the accommodations may not be there, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's incredible. You know, we're talking a lot about this word resiliency. And, and we're not really haven't mentioned it yet, but I think that's something that's, you know, key to our book and, you know, yeah. key to our, 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 our coping with this pandemic is I'm finding kids are, you know, I'm trying to impart some, some resiliency skills with kids and, okay. and, and parents and, you know, the challenges of this online learning or, you know, getting their needs met, how to advocate for themselves in a time of where if they have an individualized education plan that it may not be executed the same way in this as if in the classroom it's going to be different at home so how do we also kind of um come to some peace and and again what tools can we give kids to cope i mean and parents to cope during this time um you know i find like with chronic illness it's like a pebble in a still pond it just ripples out to everything Mm. and and the the educational piece is a huge one because that's what kids do that's their job to go to school right now right Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. 
Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's interesting is, is that, like we've mentioned, we're in sobriety, right? We, we work a, a program. And for us, before the pandemic, it was all about how do we deal with fear because everything came back to fear, right? Mm. And and so in some ways we felt so fortunate that when the rest of the country and the world were trying to figure out how to cope with fear, we had already been taught how to cope with fear, right? Because fear and all its tentacles where right now we're talking about um, chronic illness and how that affects the family. It's fear that sets in immediately, right? And people don't know how to deal with their fear. It could be financial stress, right? Bankruptcy and people of divorce. And so I'm not surprised that people do end up, not because they don't love each other and not because they weren't meant to be, but simply not being able to uh, cope with the fear. And it sounds to me that that's the crux of what you guys are doing. You're teaching people how to cope with the fear of I'm going to lose my child. That's ultimately the fear, right? Yeah. Well, and we and and we're trying to give them information. Right. You no, know, I mean every every parent who gets told their child has some kind of chronic illness go becomes a researcher, right? Yeah. They're trying to find out what are the be- what do I need to know about this? What do I have to do about this? What right. how do I create the best outcomes? What do I need to tell my doctor or ask my doctor? Mm-hmm. Do I need a specialist? And what we what we're hoping is that this book will provide a compendium of information mm-hmm. that parents can can find easily. And then <clears throat> we have a huge resource section in the back where they can go and get more information. But I think this fear you're talking about, a lot of it has to do with, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. I don't know yes. what it's about. And information can be a, a really helpful tool in the face of all that fear. Mm-hmm. Well, it's thank a good God thing, for though. you guys. I was just going to say, thank God for you guys, because yes. Googling when you yeah, think you, something's wrong. No, I was just going to say that. No, like my Gosh. wife. Oh, my God. My, my wife loves Google. My wife, like, I swear to God, and she'll she'll yell at me later about this, but, you know, WebMD, like, you know, something oh happens, and it's like, oh, oh yep, I'm going to die because I have a cut on my finger yep. that's shaped like, well, and, sh- it's shaped we like the Star of David. Book. We have a whole yes. section on um, surfing Self-diagnosis, the yeah. And how I, much to do it. Yeah. And because there are terrible stories out there. Yes. You can find anything that you want to find. Yeah. No, they're not helpful, and they only drive the fear more and deeper and deeper, 
And then, you know, and then but diagnosing themselves. Exactly. And it's like, like I never, ever, I refuse to look up yeah. any of that stuff because I'm I like, had I, I, you know, I go to the doctor and I say, okay, doc, what is this? I'm not going to look it up and try to figure it out on my own. Right. Because chances are the treatment I'm going to come up with ain't going to fix it. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to make it wife, worse. Your wife, and I'm gonna AJ, grow, and my yeah. husband. I yeah. mean, it's crazy. It's I'll crazy. grow like a third arm for some <laughs> weird reason. And it's like, it's not, you know, no, but no, like I just to piggyback what you said, Renee, like, yes, thank God that you are yeah. doing what you're doing and you're in the forefront of educating. Educating is key, especially when it comes to, you know, families dealing with, you know, children with chronic illness, mental health, whatever the situation is. Um, because again, we as parents, you know, I know, when something's wrong with one of my kids, I feel the first feeling I feel is helpless because yeah. if it's something I don't understand and I, you know, I've, I've shared this on the show before my, my, my four-year-old has an absolute legitimate fear and terror of, of, of using the toilet, um, uh. you know, to not to, not to go number one, let's just specify, but to go number two, she, uh, to the point where she'll hold it in for two two weeks and she's mm. distended. And then by the time she finally goes, it's so compact that it's so painful that it hurts. And I, you know, and that when this first thing... Behavior, yeah, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Once this whole thing started a, a, roughly about a year and a half ago, I, I, I went into that denial and I went into that anger like, stop holding it. That's just making it worse. Da, 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 da. And I, I would yell at her and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's not, that's not going to help. So yeah. plus you can't talk to a four year old, like a 34 year old. You have to come down to their level and you have to try to be more, more open and more understanding him, you know? And since then my wife and I, as stressful and frustrating as it is, because we're still dealing with it, we've come to an understanding of like how to approach her now moving forward. Um, to the point where we bought this little, I call it a little adult toilet. Like it's not one of the little plastic ones. It's a legitimate toilet, which I kind of want to put in our main downstairs bathroom. So when we have guests, that's the one that they have to use. Cause that would be hilarious. Um, no, but yeah, I think what you guys are doing is, is an absolute blessing because yeah. again, education is key for not only the parents, not only the patient, but the whole family. And yeah outsiders, friends, acquaintances, people that, you know, can be a huge part of that child's support group if they're willing to do the research and understand what's going on. It's really about having those uncomfortable conversations as well. And as you said, Frank, resilience, how, how does one build start to build that? So we, we build resilience by, by encouraging by checking our own stuff with, you know, kind of what AJ is talking about, like, you know, like checking our own, you know, baggage and our own mm-hmm. emotional stuff and, and making sure we're not transferring that onto another mm. person. Right. And knowing that, you know, having empathy for another person that they're struggling in some fashion that we may not get it, you know, cognitively or not being part of our world, but it's just something that, you know, we have to kind of show empathy for um, resilience is built over time that, you know, kind of, um, persevering um, despite difficulties. Carol talked about like a lot of our book is about gaining knowledge, mm-hmm. um, not gaining support, reaching out for mental health professionals, reaching out for support groups, reaching out for, um, you know, using the internet mindfully, being mindful right. of blogs that whatever you're reading may not also relate to your life. Um, or the, the gloom and doom that you might read doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be, because no diagnosis is the same. We right. both may be diagnosed with diabetes, but, or your child may be diagnosed with diabetes, but your journey is completely different. Mm-hmm. And so there are similarities, but there's also understanding that there's also some, you know, differences and nuances mm-hmm. to your diagnosis. So what is, uh, what is, what is on the forefront, uh, coming up next for both of you? Uh, the book is out now. Yes. Yes. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, what is, uh, what is next for both of you? Well, I, you know, I was kind of semi-retired. I actually uh, closed my office in 2018. So I was already seeing a few clients online and I'm, you know, I was 
before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of traveling. I, I maybe had a couple of clients and a lot of people have come back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I was going to, I was going to say, right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm way steep in clients again. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I only work right. with people that I've worked with in the past. So right. we already have a good history and a, and a good relationship. So I'm, I'm very much enjoying it, but good. it's sort of like, okay, so how long is this phase going <laughs> right. to go? And, and how about um, you? my son's having a, my son uh, and his wife are having a, a little boy in September. Oh, congratulations. Grandma. congratulations. That's awesome. Frank, what do you got coming up uh, next month? Um, I have, I, I just, as I alluded to, as I mentioned earlier was um, I have this book, Blo children's book, Blossom and Bud that just released in April. And I am uh, working on a couple more children's books. Um, I really loved working with Carol on this parenting book, but man, was that arduous you know 419 pages at the end right so it was like it was a great journey um but i like the 32 page kids books um they're not any easier believe me believe yeah. me you know oh. rhyming is aj i'm sure and you know anyone that writes and i know you know music whatever it's like you know it's 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 a challenge um I, not all my books are rhyming um I'm, i still work <laughs> with my patients I, I work in my practice six days a week sunday through friday um, seeing kids through adults and, um, I'm hoping I'm vaccinated. I'm hoping to do some traveling, um, and, and do some, you know, kind of keep that balance in our lives. It's something we talk about in our book. It's something that I, I, I talk to my patients about. It's about, you know, creating balance in our lives. If we can create some sort of balance, we, you know, we can have more peace and, and resiliency in our lives. Um, Absolutely. Where, where can people find you both? Um, let me see. I'm on uh, social media. A, my website is carolpotter.net. Okay. Um, but I'm on Instagram, carolpotter90210, I think. Love it. Good one. And, Good one. Nice. And, um, <laughs> carolsp90210 on Twitter. <laughs> what's, okay. what's your, what's, what's your TikTok? Yeah. No, no, no. No, <laughs> you know, I, I really, I can only do so much of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Frank, Frank, I, I did want to more on top of it. Go ahead, Frank. First, let no, us go ahead, know. Renee. No, no, I just, you know, I feel like hijacking the 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 podcast for a second because I feel that everybody in the world, this is just my opinion, thinks they could write a children's book. I think everybody says. I think I could write a children's book. Obviously, it's not as easy as a layman like me would think, right? What's What got you into it? I know that sounds like we could go on for days, but what drew you to children's books? Well, it's, actually, it's a very interesting question because it very much connects to our topic today is um, I, use, I use a technique in child therapy called bibliotherapy where you read a child a book about a particular topic that opens up their dialogue feelings and validation about the topic from divorce to anger. And so I, when I was uh, starting my doctorate, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is a chronic mm -hmm. um, disease of anywhere from the mouth to the anus. And mine is in my, in my terminal ilium, which is in my small intestine. Sorry, I don't mean to be graphic, but um, I have Crohn's disease and um, I was treat, I treat a lot of children with gut issues, bowel issues, like AJ's daughter struggling mm -hmm. with toilet issues. And one girl said to me, Dr. Frank, how come there's no book for us on Crohn's? And so I wrote a children's book um, called Toilet Paper Flowers, and it was published in 20, 2005. And that started my writing journey to create books to help kids that I could not reach in my office or that I am seeing my office, but also outside. And I started lecturing across the country about chronic illness and psychology, the psychological impact of chronic illness because I wanted to bring attention to, hey, I have a chronic illness, I have Crohn's, and people would say to me, you're so thin, or, you know, you, you look so weak. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's that Crohn's, you know, I gotta, you know, gotta, gotta do better with that, you know? And so people sometimes, I think Cheryl, you were talking about this, people well-meaning, but like sometimes they say really oh, dumb yeah. things. Really hurtful yes. things, yeah. Very hurtful, dumb things. So it's like, um, 
so I started, that's how I started Renee. I started writing children's books then. And I start, so kids, you know, when I see them in my practice, I get ideas from them. And um, I just, you know, just a creative aspect of my job. So yeah, just, that's awesome. Really always thinking he's always got ideas going on. His, his, his brain is really a imagination factory. Awesome. So where, where can people find you, Frank? I am, I'm, my website is drfrancilio.com and my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is easy, Dr. Frank Cilio. So if people can find me on the social media. And I'm not on TikTok. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I could give you just one more thing. Um, we were asked a question on our la- last podcast. People email us questions. And one of them said, are there any books for children that have alcoholic parents or one, you know? So I couldn't think of one, but maybe down the road, you might write one and then we could recommend it. <laughs> we can co-write it. Oh, <laughs> See, it. I, I, I pull people in to co-write. There you go. Hey, right we, that we, would be we've, we've done the research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. We are the uh, poster childs right here. Thank um, you both so much yes, for your work. You. Seriously. Great. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. You're always welcome you back. Absolutely. And uh, stay safe out there. And, Wait. uh, God bless you. Guys. Thank you so much. Be well. Hey guys, thank you. Cheers. So we want to thank Carol and Frank uh, for joining us today. Um, again, you guys can check out their book that they wrote together that is available now when your child has a chronic medical illness. It I wish their books were Amazon. out when I was a kid. Yes. So yeah. uh, thank, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and give us five stars. We love you guys if you do that. We love you anyways, even if you don't. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio. Cheers. Follow Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con Season 5 The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts Or wherever you get your podcasts like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 